This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am your host, Alex Fitton, and I get so excited every week to bring you guys new episodes full of grace and hope and hopefully humor and fun in your adoption journey. You can find me on Facebook at Alex Fitton and the Adoptive Mom Podcast and on Instagram at the Adoptive Mom. And you guys, don't forget to check out show notes, blog posts, and lots more resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. This is episode 11 of season five, and that makes episode 74 overall. Today, I'm introducing you guys to Shannon Guerra, an adoptive mom and author in Alaska. Shannon and her husband have adopted two kids from Bulgaria and have six bio kids as well. Shannon is the author of Upside Down, a guide to understanding and supporting attachment in adoptive families. I am so excited for you guys to get to know Shannon if you haven't already, and stay tuned to hear how you can win your very own copy of Upside Down. Before that, I wanted to let you guys know that if you haven't figured it out already, I've been including a hidden track, if you will, at the very end of each episode with a lightning round of fun questions to get to know my guests better. If you weren't in the know about those, definitely go back and listen to the sections after the outro to check out these fun segments. However, starting last week with the dad's episode, they moved over to Patreon. So if you're already a supporter, get excited to hear these fun bonus shows each week. I'm going to be adding to them. So it's going to be more than just a few lightning round questions. And if not, maybe consider supporting at the $5 level or higher to get access. On that note, I want to thank Patreon supporter Jennifer Luna for being a part of Team AMP and making episodes like this happen. So thanks, Jennifer. All right, guys, let's go talk to Shannon Guerra. And I said it right this time, right? You did. Yeah, good job. Okay, good. It was, you know, I had two options. It was either Guerra or Guerra, and I, I picked the wrong one the first time. So I'm glad that I chose correctly. You'd be amazed at how creative people are at messing it up. It's okay. You did good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, okay, Shannon, take a second and introduce us to your family. My family. Uh, we have eight kids, which we were surprised by. We wanted four when we had high hopes of starting a family, and I guess that was a halfway mark. We had four and then adopted two and thought we were done and then had a surprise three, almost four years ago, and then had another surprise last Christmas. So that last surprise is almost six months old now, and they're amazing. I mean, they were the best surprise. We needed them. Wow. Yeah. So you're like fresh, like you are like just had a baby. I'm six months postpartum. Yeah. Had a baby. Well, less than six months ago at Christmas. Yeah. Well, you look so, great. Yeah. He is outside. Well, thanks. This is, you know, this is only this part of me. So yeah, I'm not going to stand <laughs> up or show you anything else. This is it. This is what you get. <laughs> I love it. Well, yeah. I, I don't think I realized that you had like the little littles, like, oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a lot of children. And I think it's funny that you were like, you know, we have eight, we wanted four, like that's a small amount, like four is still a lot of children. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I mean, but, in comparison. Yeah, our oldest is 18 and just moved out. So we are the whole range. We have an adult child now, which makes us old. And we have a baby, which makes us grandparent parents, I guess. I don't know. It's totally weird. It's different this time around, but it's amazing and it's good. Yeah. It's just a fun adventure. It's fine. So, okay. um, And then your husband and how long have you guys been married? Okay. We have been married for 21 years and he's also a writer and we worked from home and he worked in management at a large warehouse store for over 20 years, some large warehouse store quit his job over a year ago and we've been writing full-time ever since. Cool. And you live in like, you live in Alaska, right? And we live in Alaska. Yeah. I was born here. He moved here, um, 22 years ago and yeah. You have like so many, there's so many, always lived here. There's so many cool, like trivia things about your life. You're like, Oh, and we live in Alaska and we're both writers and we have eight kids and I, (laughs) 
It's I love just it. life. <laughs> yeah. No, I th- I love yeah, it. I think thanks. that's so cool. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, you mentioned that you are an adoptive mom and you have had, mm-hmm. you have, you know, that's part of your ministry, which I love. And we'll get into that later. But do you mind just telling us your adoption story? Like, why did you get into it? And how did everything go? I love international adoption stories because that's not my story. So I get to okay. hear something different. Yeah. Well, we started um, not having any idea what we wanted. We only knew that we wanted to adopt two children because we were starting off with four. And for some reason that felt like adding two, I don't know, we felt like super ambitious and young and crazy, but we thought that two might be easier on the children. Looking back now, this is all, this is all not knowing anything about adoption. So give grace to me. Um, We thought adding two at the time, would be helpful for those children that we were adding into our family so that they could incorporate together. Um, And so, of course, we were looking at a sibling group. We started off with a different adoption agency, and we were directing toward Ethiopia at that time because they told us they had a lot of sibling groups at that time. This is almost 10 years ago now. And that ended up completely falling through. We had a terrible experience with that adoption agency, and we withdrew from their program, didn't like the stuff that ended up going down there. And then we just sort of floundered for a long time. We didn't know what to do. We didn't feel any particular leading toward any particular country. So we waited for a long time. We kind of pursued through an orphanage that our church has connections with for a while. That didn't go through. I mean, it's just international adoption is like that. We know so many families who they got this far into the process and then completely bailed out or something happened. The country closed so, or something um, crazy. Oh, so many of, yeah, those mm-hmm. situations. So eventually we got connected with another agency through a friend who used them for a domestic adoption, but they also did international adoption. And they had two international programs where you could adopt more than one child at the same time on the same fee, um, on the same adoption fee. Of course, you still have, you have separate visas, you still have separate plane tickets, you still have all this other stuff that is separate. But the main fee was just one fee. And they didn't have to be biologically related, which at that point, we were having a hard time finding a sibling group. So um, we ended up adopting through Bulgaria. And our two kiddos from there were not biologically related. They weren't even in the same orphanage or the same city. They were in different cities, both from extremely extremely hard backgrounds and situations. They were both almost seven when we brought them home. So there's a lot of damage there that without the supernatural healing of God is likely to be permanent. Um, So we are praying, but we're also just dealing with day-to-day stuff that they deal with. And um, that was in 2012 when we brought them home. Okay. Did I hit all the highlights? I think so. I don't even know if I told you or not. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I I have a lot of follow-up questions. I feel like, you know, I've I've actually had a Bulgarian adoption story on the podcast before. And, uh, you know, some of the things that she educated us on were just absolutely heartbreaking. And I can't imagine seeing that with my own eyeballs, you know, when you go to pick up your child and having to leave other children there that you're not adopting, just all of the things that go with that. So tell us about that. What were some of the struggles there? Uh, When we were in country, you mean? Yeah, or just the process learning about Bulgarian adoptions. Right. Okay. It's a two-country, it's a a two-trip process for that country. And so the first trip we did was in, I think, March of the same year we ended up bringing them home. We brought them home in August, but first met them in March. And um, I have this vivid memory of standing at a park at our daughter's orphanage. Um, Let me go back. I have a vivid memory of standing in the yard of our daughter's orphanage. And their orphanage was a gift to them from the city that she lived in. And the building was... um, I'm trying to be diplomatic about this. The building had some problems. The building had broken glass. The building had broken tile. Um, it wasn't super clean. And it bordered 
the the outside the yard of the building bordered on one side an alley where there was a ton of trash and broken glass that you know kind of drifted into the kids yard and on the other side it bordered this really beautiful park like a it was a really beautiful city also that she lived in so there was this awesome park and um and what divided her yard from this park was this big metal fence and kids would come by and they would hang their backpacks on this fence and mothers would jog through the park, this beautiful park and the sidewalks and everything. They'd take their jogging strollers and they'd go through. And I remember standing with her, holding her hand, looking through the fence at all these people living happy, happy, normal lives while all these kids in the orphanage were here. I mean, and none of the other kids in the orphanage were even in the yard with us. We were just there. I don't know how often they had yard time. Um, and it's a really vulnerable thing even to do the whole international adoption thing because we signed paperwork that we can't read. You know, we are trusting our translator. We are trusting our attorney. Our, our, we are trusting our attorney to be able to translate all that stuff for us and to tell us accurately what we are signing onto and what we are agreeing to. And um, we just did a lot of trusting God in that whole time. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I can't even, I'm not great with patience. And so I can't even imagine what um, what you you women that that do international adoption just the strength that you must have because I I struggle with like a couple of weeks of waiting on something and I can't imagine waiting months or years even to bring yeah. your child home um, especially when you know that they're out there and um, yeah and you're waiting on just you know paperwork or bureaucracy or whatever um, right yeah. so you know you you mentioned some special needs and just some, some trauma that occurred. What are some of the things that you struggle with now? Or they struggle now with? Yeah. mostly, mostly what we deal with, with our daughter, she has fetal alcohol syndrome. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, you know, brain issues. School is super hard. She's 13, but she is um, cognitively more of a toddler Mm-hmm. So we work with her on things. She can write her name now, which is amazing. Yeah. She might learn to read, which is for her, for the level of FAS that she has, that's kind of a miracle. And um, so that is her stuff um, or the main thing. And our son deals with a lot of attachment stuff still. And our daughter does also, but not to the same extent. And what was really hard with her was that... Um, Often with her, we couldn't tell um, genuinely, are you are you not understanding me? Are you not remembering that I told you this? Or are you just pretending not to know it? Mm-hmm. So, And he will do the same thing sometimes, but we know better. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so his stuff is more behavioral. His stuff is more, um, you can just see this inward fight in him. He still grieves and struggles, and we are walking with him through that and loving him through that. And sometimes loving them through that is really hard because... Um, when they test us, they are very unlikable. And so yeah. to love someone who acts very unlikable is, is really hard. And man, that will bubble up the dross in your system super fast. Like, I, man, I didn't know what an evil person I was until I had all my buttons pushed and could see like, oh my gosh, what do you do with this? So um, that has been probably the most sanctifying thing I have ever dealt with in my life was just adopting both of them and dealing with all this all at once. We had other stuff going on in our family, outside our family. At the same time, we adopted them. One of our other biological kids also has special needs. Those started um, just erupting around the same time we brought our two adopted children home. So, um, yeah. So, the book is a result of all that because we didn't know... um, we didn't know how to communicate all of our needs and we had to learn how to communicate our needs because we had so much going on. Our family was just imploding and we had all these people who just were like, Oh, it's just so wonderful. You adopted. It's just like having twins. Right. And I'm like, I mean, I mean, I, I, I was like, not saying churchy things like I'm oh, yeah. like in the middle of church and wanting to wring somebody's neck because they had no clue. And And it's hard to blame them because before we were really there, we didn't have a clue either. You know, we went through all the training and you can go through all the training, but, and, and and you can be a professional and counsel people in this, but until you have lived 
with these children who have had this kind of trauma in their background and you have lived with them under your roof where you are legally responsible for them, you are loving them and you are wanting to like them, you have no idea what it's really like to struggle with the kinds of behaviors that they'll show you. Yes. And I was, I was writing that down. I love that quote, just that, you know, you can have all the training, you can be a professional, but you just don't know until you know. And that's something we talk about on the podcast so much because, you know, the goal of the podcast is to, um, to look at the person that is often overlooked, which is the adoptive mom. And I think that, um, there's a lot of misconception in saying that, you know, we want to make it about ourselves, but I think that that is such a, such a narrow view of what we try to do in this adoption, in this adoptive mom community, which is saying like, mm-hmm. we cannot pour into these kids if we are completely empty and we right. get empty so fast. And you're right. Yeah. I mean, looking at a kid that is so unlikable and this is a broken situation, this is not natural. This is, mm-hmm. a, you know, against nature to use a completely un-PC term, but yet here we are. And how do we do this without dying to ourselves completely? Um, So, you know, you, you wrote a book, which is really awesome. um, And I have it right here, actually, but I want to hear about that. So was that an outpouring of just like necessity? Like I have to write this because other people need to hear it or what, what, what brought you to the point where you're like, this needs to be in other people's hands? Yeah. um, We were brought there because we were completely isolated. We had a few families who understood what we were, or we had a couple families who really got it because they were also living it out. Yet at the same time, we were all living it out. We didn't have time to pour into each other. All you have time to do is understand each other and that helps. But um, we came from this perspective of our church is pro-adoption and they are. We have an amazing church that is... um, works really hard to um, to invite special needs to incorporate all the all the all the resources we need they are accommodating we do all that stuff um, and we have tons of adoptive families but what we realized is that we needed something that was more like yay adoption and more like I'm right here with you and so there's a real uh, discrepancy between those two things. It's totally different to say, yay, good job. You know, I'm so glad you adopted and we are for adoption versus how can I help you? I'm going to bring you groceries and coffee. And I need to know if you want me to take out your three oldest kids for a while so that you can get a nap or something or anything. You know, there's an entirely different message that you're sending when you're like, I am going to be in this with you and I'm going to embrace the awkward with you. I'm going to, um, I'm not going to make it even harder for you when you try to go out and about, you know, I'm not going to, um, put my pride in the way and say, Oh, it's just my personality. I would feel so mean if I ignored your children, even though you're asking me to, you know, and, and that was the thing is we were encountering a lot of just this whole gamut of people who were truly in this with us, Um, and then other people who were just the point of like, it's too hard for me to not be friendly for 40 minutes on a Sunday morning when I'm your daughter's teacher in her classroom. I I need to hug her because that's my personality. And I'm like, sorry, that's too bad. You know, because, because we need people to understand how really selfish that was. You know, it's not too hard for you to set your personality aside to respect the boundaries that she requires. Because let me tell you what's hard. What is hard is that we have poured at that point months or years into helping her heal and grow and attach to us. And this one person, or it was not just one person, it was several different people, would basically sabotage that. Well-meaning, they had no clue. They never saw the damage. And so our family, our biological children, our other adopted child, uh, our marriage, our 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 whole home would suffer when this one child had their boundaries crossed and they would react in awful ways that I don't even feel comfortable describing on a podcast because this person just thought it was too mean to ignore them and it was too hard for them. And they had no clue what hard really, really looked like for the family that they were just completely disregarding. 
Yeah. Oh, girl. Yes. Like all of that. It's it's so hard because I think that, first of all, um, you know, as adoptive moms, we often get put on pedestals that we did not ask to be put on. And that makes right. it really hard because you feel like you can't be real with people or when you tell them really hard things like, you know, one of my sons has rad and um, yeah. people don't understand rad, which is, you know, that's, that's fine. That's whatever. But it's like, I need you to not let him think he's fooled you. I need you to not let him lie to you. I need you to yeah. not, you know, I mean, just putting boundaries in place and people don't understand that because it does feel mean. It does feel heartless. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of, um, a lot of really, like you said, really well-meaning people want to think this is a really awesome adoption story and that's the end of it. You know, they don't see the behind the scenes. They don't see the hard stuff we go through. Um, yeah. And that's, that's the the nature of your book, right? It's talking all about attachment. So can you give us just an overview of um, what it's about and how it helps? Okay. Uh, I actually just reshared two of the chapters are still, I think two of the chapters are still online. I just shared one of them that was, probably the most popular. It all started as a series on my blog. So that's why it's still available for a couple of those chapters there. Um, And that particular chapter is chapter two talks about why we have these weird limits. You know, what is it like? So for example, the analogy of a cast, that was my husband's analogy. He's like, so the kids are like a broken bone and you wrap a cast around this broken bone because obviously you're not going to go poking it and you've got sharp edges. You don't want to damage the bone. You don't want to injure yourself. You don't want to prolong healing. And so the cast that we wrap around our children who come from a very broken past, um, the cast is parents. So you can love on the cast when someone has a broken leg. We sign it. We color on it. We, we you know, pat them, whatever. Um, and we encourage people to do that to the parents who are the cast. The parents need encouragement because they are the ones who are getting poked and prodded and bleeding by the broken bone of the child here in the family. And you can love on the cast all you want, but you do not touch the bone until people tell you it's safe. And the people who can tell you it's safe are the parents. You can't just trust your own judgment and be like, I don't see anything that seems weird about that child. Oh my gosh, they are so cute. They are so charming. What is wrong with these adults? Like these people used to be my friends and they used to be so cool and laid back. And now they seem all uptight and tense and um, they're just not who they used to be. And that's because they're dealing with some serious um, sharp edges and people need to learn how to respect that. But it's very counterintuitive. Yeah, I I love that analogy. And I've never heard it put that way, but it's so true. And I think that, um, man, I, I want to ask you this. One of the hardest things is when other people think that the cast isn't protecting the bone well enough mm-hmm. or with a gentle enough approach. Um, yeah. How do you handle that? You know, when, when, especially with kids who have attachment disorders, which it sounds like one of your kids does. Um, yeah. and that's our story as well. There's a lot of times where we come across very heartless and we get a lot of judgment mm-hmm. for that. And that is, that's hard. I'm such a people pleaser. And I, I would say I'm a recovering people pleaser, not a recovered one yet, but it's, yeah. I'm, I'm still struggling with like, I know that I'm being judged right now. I know they think I'm being mean. I know that they think I'm overreacting or whatever. And I, I can't care, but I really want to care. I don't know. What do you right. think about those things? Yeah. Well, with some people, we had to completely cut off contact. And I think that's healthy and it's sad, but it has to be done sometimes. Um, and to a person who's actually teachable, though, I i mean, using the cast analogy, that's like saying, I'm not sure if this cast is really doing a good enough job. Let me take a really skinny dowel rod and stick it in here and wiggle it around really quick and see if that cast is really padded correctly. Because that's the kind, I mean, we would never do that to someone who's got a broken bone and covered with a cast. You know, that would cause more damage. But that's kind of what they're doing, especially when they say things like that in front of our kids, which is absolutely inappropriate. And yet people think that they can do it all the time. You know, they ask questions about the kids or um, we had a situation, it's actually in the end of the book, sort of like the bonus material about a doctor who, um, she was amazing through our adoption process. But once we brought the kids home, she just wanted the kids to feel so loved and so welcomed at her office. And she was, I mean, that was probably the situation that did more damage to our family in, in the, that season of a couple months right there 
than almost anything else. I mean, church was one thing because people at church are so freaking nice. It drives you crazy when you need them to not be quite so nice and touchy and lovey. But when you go to a professional's office and you need them to be a professional and they just want to love on a child who really doesn't know how to handle that and they cannot handle it. And so the parent ends up going home and dealing with all kinds of chaos and meltdown Mm -hmm. afterwards for weeks. We ended up changing offices. We found a place, um, a clinic who really did respect special needs. And so we marched our family out of the cute little happy, happy, clappy, glittery office and went to something that was a little bit more down to earth and accepted our whole family, you know, warts and all. And, you know, we just have to make those calls. We could have stuck through that one. I mean, we tried, you know, I tried communicating stuff to the doctor that's in the back of the book. Um, she didn't want it. And, and I think that's the hardest thing is the people that are hardest to work with in this situation are those who are not teachable are those who think they already have the answers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes not always, but sometimes in the professional or medical communities, that's the attitude is we have the answers and you're coming to us for help. But there's often an overinflated view of their helpfulness and resource because they don't really know exactly what it's like unless they've truly lived with it. Unless that doctor is an adoptive parent themselves or that social worker really has walked through this themselves, they can have all the book knowledge and all the appointment experience and all the hours at the desk, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter because they have not lived it. They don't know what it's like to live this in your heart and to feel so much rejection from a child that you have poured everything into. And at the end of the day, to still not know, am I doing any good for this child? You know, have we done anything good um, since bringing them home? Or, I mean, and, and we know, we know that we are doing good. You know, we know that if God called us to this, it's for a purpose. It's good. It's obviously doing good in me because, man, I am maturing like... I never knew I needed to mature, but we want to see tangible good. We want to see progress. And it's like watching hair grow. You know, you don't see your hair grow. Um, And it takes a long time to really have some perspective. And now we are seven years almost into this and we can see some things, but at the same time, like, It's seven years, you know, we thought we would be so much farther in seven years, you know, and, and to be able to just give ourselves grace and to still see God is moving. It doesn't look like we thought it was going to look, but is he doing things that we never thought he would have done? Yeah. I mean, had we not walked through this, we would have been the problem, you know, and man, would I rather be part of the problem or would I rather have to walk the hard road to be part of the solution? I really don't know. I was <laughs> you know? Say, uh... Because it's hard. Because it's so hard. I don't know. But <laughs> but I'm glad we know. You know, I don't want to, in my heart, I don't want to be part of the problem. I know we could have and, and probably were part of the problem to other people that we knew, to other families that we knew. And so now, and God has given us this platform to be able to communicate that to others. And I think... Locally here, at least where we live, there's a huge movement to um, to help families before they need foster care and to help adoptive families. And we are, you know, all of this stuff that's coming through is coming through partly because we've been able to educate and speak about it and, and write about it. And so people are seeing... Um, what it's really like, you know, adoption isn't the Hallmark movie that you thought it was. Adoption is not, um, Oliver Twist, you know, adoption is not just the cute, innocent child who's grateful for everything because you know what? Sometimes they're not, sometimes they don't say thank you. And, and really, you know, there's a lot of people who will say, oh, they're so lucky to be adopted, but there are also people who would say, why would you say they're lucky? They lost their first family. You know, they have walked grief and loss that most of us would never want to experience. You know, we have never experienced that. So they're not lucky and they're not particularly grateful to be here with us, but we walk that with them. All right, y'all, it's time to learn how three of you amazing listeners will win a copy of Shannon's book, Upside Down. To enter, you'll need to share this episode on social media. 
be sure to tag me in it. And if your account is private, DM me a screenshot since I won't be able to see it. And that's it. Easy peasy. Give your followers the gift of me and Shannon and be entered to win. Okay, back to the show. I always say, you know, adoption is beautiful, but it something had to be broken first. And yeah. Um, and that's, you know, one of my things. And I know that this is a, a controversial issue to have, but it, it bothers me when, when people say that this was God's plan. And I think it can totally become yeah. God's plan, but God's plan was for, right. for their family to be whole. That was, that was the right. plan. The right. plan was not yeah. for them to be broken and go through trauma. Um, that's sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think right. that that's, you know, that's another whole deep thing. But I want to ask you, you know, you mm-hmm. mentioned your ministry and your platform. Um, at what point in your own loss, in your own um, just journey to overcome this this sadness and this grief that I think that as adoptive moms, we don't expect, you know, we don't expect that we are going to have to grieve, that we are going to have to experience mm-hmm. the loss of our expectations, the loss of our plan as if we know better than right. God. But, you know, we, we have to go through this and we have to die to self a little bit, like I already said. So at what mm-hmm. point were you like... I have to do this. I have to be the one that 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 speaks on these things that God is teaching me. So it started off just writing it as a blog um, because I had a blog and that was my way to um, stay out of jail because I believe that writing is good therapy. I agree. And, <laughs> and it was a good way to communicate. I knew that people who we were in weekly contact with at church or in the community, I knew they were reading. Um, we had had a pretty good readership during the whole adoption process, you know, when we're fundraising and telling people about these kids that we're meeting and loving and seeing and can't wait to bring home. And so in a way that was good to bring people in, to rally people in, to support. And then of course, as everything starts to flip upside down and implode, um, these same people were reading about that and a lot of them were supportive and receptive and they they wanted to learn with us. Most of them don't want to be part of the problem. And so they were humble enough to learn with us and to embrace that awkward with us when, for example, we, well, at first we didn't go anywhere. You know, we didn't take our kids to friend's house. We, I think it was, it was probably a good three months before we finally had our best friends over who also had adopted children and they came over 13 kids everywhere, I think. And, um, and you know, they just embraced it with us, you know, please, please ignore these two children. Um, they're going to try to get your attention, just kindly ignore them, you know, and, and they got that, but it feels weird for them. It feels weird for us as parents to have to ask someone that. It's, I mean, even seven years into this, I'm like, why are we still having to ask people to do this sometimes? And well, because they need it, because he needs it. So, and our family needs it. Our family needs to be able to get together with other adults sometimes. And so we'll have our two kiddos who need to have more distance from other adults doing a different activity. And that's for our own survival. You know, parents need to be filled also. And so for us to pour into them, like you said, we have to be poured into. And we need that pouring into by our friends who are willing to go through this with us. Yes. And how how were you poured into or how did you survive that, that grieving period that we talked about, that loss? Um, what was that like for you and how did you get through it? Because, you know, this book didn't exist, so you couldn't. Yeah. Read it, you know, to, to minister yeah. that to yourself. So how did you get through? Um, that's a really hard question because I don't think I would have gotten through except that I ended up getting pregnant with our, our four-year-old, our almost four-year-old. And at that point, um, it was a crisis pregnancy. We were not expecting to get pregnant. We had had a surgery to prevent things like this. Surgery apparently didn't work. We knew the surgery didn't work, but we still thought, you know, so I was pregnant and completely devastated at first. And as a pro-life person, as someone who has been and still is a pro-life activist, to be devastated when you're pregnant is really hard Mm -hmm. because you're like, of course, this is the best thing ever, right? It doesn't feel like the best thing ever. Why, you know, God, what are you thinking to bring a child into this family right now when we've got so much craziness going on. And at that point, what was really scary was that I knew about prenatal trauma and I was, 
I was so scared about what this new baby would experience with a mom who was dealing with depression and dealing with all the chaos in the home and outside the home. We had, you know, all this other, we had other family issues going on. We had some church issues going on. Um, we had community issues going on. It was just a crap show. So, you know, to bring a new baby into that environment was God's reckless grace, you know, being just, I know that if you're pregnant, you're going to take care of yourself. And what was really amazing was that once he was born, um, parenting was fun again. We, I mean, I, I think the hardest thing for me was that I knew what it was to be a parent because we had had four biological kids. And so um, even though one of them had special needs and, and I mean, four kids, they're all you know, you have one kid and then you have the second kid and that kid is an opposite. Your third kid is another kind of opposite. You have all these opposites. Okay. So I knew parenting, but I had struggled so much with the ineffectiveness, feeling ineffective as a parent and um, feeling purposeful is really important for me. I'm a person who likes to achieve things, who gets things checked off. Um, and so to what I felt to end my parenting journey with two children who were basically digging in their heels at every turn was devastating to me. And so then when we had this healthy baby who did things like cuddle and smile and all the same stuff that I remembered from parenting, that was so therapeutic for me. Um, and then we had this other one, you know, last year, and that's just icing on the cake, total um, just the abundance of God to flip our family culture back toward health and joy. And, um, you know, and, and our two who we adopted are growing and healing, but it's that slow growth and, and it does as much growth and healing in us, all the growth and healing that we didn't know we needed. Um, but to have these two little guys now who are fun, they're cute. They, they do things, they smile and they laugh and they reciprocate in ways, you know, that, that our children normally do, but a child who struggles with attachment issues does not reciprocate in that way. Or if they do, it's often for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just, just being able to redeem motherhood again has been huge for me. And I think, uh, so that turning point is probably the pregnancy and, you know, having him. I think that's really um, an interesting perspective, and I almost didn't expect to hear you say that. But now that you like, now that you've explained it, it makes complete sense. Um, and I love that because I think that you know, for me anyway, I know that this story is or this is not true of all women. But I was struggling with postpartum anxiety with my um, my oldest biological child, and I wasn't getting mm -hmm. help because I didn't know that postpartum anxiety was a thing. I just thought, anyway. yeah, mm -hmm. I was. I was inexperienced. I had the one kid and I was like, well, this isn't depression, so I should be fine. Anyway, it was getting pregnant that balanced those hormones again, that I started feeling like myself again. Yeah. And I was not trying to get pregnant. That was a surprise too. And so I, I totally mm -hmm. get that, um, just in a different way. So I love that. Um, yeah, I know. I love that explanation. Just the, the reckless grace of God that you would have never have asked for that, but now you're so thankful. Um, I think that's really cool. Yeah. He trusts us with things that we're like, are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> why would you, why would you have me do this? You know? Oh, yeah. So yeah. That's why should the, why should the hermit level introvert have eight kids? I have no idea. You know, just things that just don't compute. That's that whole pedestal thing. You know, we're like, I am, I'm not awesome. I promise you I'm not awesome. That's and right. It's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I, I love your story. I think it's really cool. And I also love, I think that we're so like-minded. I am not an introvert, but other than that, are you, okay. Do you know your Enneagram? Yes, I do. Is I'm it a four. A, oh, you're a four? I'm a four, but fours are very like a one. Are you a one? I'm a one wing two. Okay. So I'm a four wing three, but fours tend to be like a one when they're healthy. Okay. At least that's the, what the I checking, read. The achieving, the checking off boxes. Yeah. But I am, yep. I am very yep. extroverted. So, um, yeah. yeah, I just, I love that. And I think that um, I love that you, like I said, that you did something about it, that you didn't just, yeah. you know, keep all of this to yourself that you were saying, you know, if, if, if I need to hear this, other people do too. So, uh, yeah. 
And we'll talk in a minute after our closing questions about how you as listeners can buy her book and how you can possibly win her book, which is so fun. But first, I have some closing questions for you. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So what do you wish that someone had told you at the beginning of this journey? Uh, ooh, that's a good question. Shoot. Um, I guess I wish they would have given me my book. (laughs) I mean, um, I don't know. I think what I needed to hear was, and I don't know if I would have received this very well, but I think what I needed to hear was, it's probably not going to look the way you think it's going to look like, but it's going to be okay. You know, and it's going to be more than okay because God is going to take those things that are hard. You know, um, he didn't, you know, just like we were talking about adoption, not necessarily being God's perfect plan, because often it is a plan B. Adoption begins with grief, and that is not God's plan. But he can take everything that the enemy throws at us and flip it on its head for good. And I think that is what I needed to hear. And that is what I still need to hear. And that's what I still have to tell myself and have my close friends tell me. And my husband speaks that into me and I speak it into him. You know, we see things that don't seem like they're working out. And and it's because it's not done yet. We're not done. We're only partway there. A cake looks really gross when it's only batter. You know, you would not eat it that way. So it's not done. And a lot of our stuff isn't done either, but that's okay. It's a process. You're just killing it with the analogies. I love it. Oh, good. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) You think I wrote this stuff all the time, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So what do you wish you had done differently? Um, hmm. I wish, I guess I wish I had known ahead of time that I needed more personal healing. I don't know that I would have pursued it because I don't know that I would have believed myself. You know, I mean, I'm a stubborn piece of work. So I really think God had to do all this through me to really get to the point where I realized I needed this kind of brokenness. I needed this kind of growth and maturity. You know, would I have accepted it? I mean, I would have from from the right kind of person. I would have accepted hearing that. And and so to someone who is, you know, thinking about adoption, I would say um, it is, I don't know, I, I would say it is probably not what you expect it's going to be. It's going to take more from you than you think you have. And you're going to need God more than you ever thought you would. And if you assume that it's still going to be full of rainbows and sunshine because you saw that on somebody's blog, that person is a liar. Or maybe their kids are perfect, but I would lean towards them being a liar. <laughs> Not necessarily a liar, but somebody who, who doesn't feel safe to express it. So, and I think there's also a lot of that. You know, I think, um, for example, just a couple of weeks ago, a close friend of mine who um, helps us with a lot of things, she is in it with us. She said, but Shannon, your family, your kids are extreme. She said, Shannon, your kids are extreme. Your family is kind of an extreme case. And I said, our family is not that extreme of a case. Our family seems like an extreme case because there are so many families like ours and they don't feel safe talking about what they go through. So if we could help people to feel safe talking about what they go through and blogging the gritty stuff. And it's a hard line to walk because we don't want to tell too much of our kid's story. We want to protect their privacy. We want to protect our own privacy. We don't want to um, to just lay ourselves out there for every internet troll to, you know, come harass and stalk. Um, but if as, as the church, as the body, if we can be supportive of each other and create that safe culture where it's okay to tell me um, how many bodily fluids your kid painted the bathroom wall with. That's okay. I'm not going to judge you for that. You know, we kind of need that. We need a culture who says it's okay to hurt. It is okay for this to be hard. This was not ever meant to be easy. Was it easy for God? No, it was not easy for Jesus to do what he did when he died for us. It is not easy for us to take that on and to bring a child into a family because it wasn't easy for Jesus to do that for us either. So, um, yeah, I don't have a happy, easy, quippy kind of answer for that, but I just think we need to be teachable too. We're going to need other people to be teachable as we walk through this. And we also have to be teachable. Yeah. Amen. And I, I, you know, I actually love you saying that those people are liars because I think that 
you know, not to demonize them. It's not that. It's just, I think that, you know, my heart, I'll just speak for myself. Like I need to hear those things because I think that there's, there's so much comparison even within adoption. Yeah. There's so much of like, why didn't I get the cool story? Why didn't I get the, you know, whatever. Right. Um, Making it about myself. And that's the gross stuff that we have to continue to confess in order to heal from. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, my next two questions are always, um, how did your tribe support you through your adoption process? And then on the flip side, how did you feel not supported or misunderstood? And I feel like you've covered some of that, but if you had like, right. you know, yeah. a highlight reel, what are, what are the best and worst ways to support an adoptive family? Um, during the adoption process, you mean before they came home, before our kiddos came home or the whole, Answer's the whole thing? choice. Answer is choice. Whoa. I dangerous. Know. Okay. Open-ended. Um, I would. I would say the thing they best did was um, they just, they were willing to learn from us and they weren't judging. They weren't um, spouting off their own opinions. You know, they weren't armchair experts who had seen Oprah talk about adoption once way back in the nineties and thought that therefore they knew everything because some of those people are out there. Anything. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, they were just teachable. That was the best thing. Uh, they were, they were willing to recognize what we were doing because I, it was so hard. I could not recognize what we were doing. I needed people who could still say, um, Shannon, you're doing a good job. You know, I needed them to show me what reality was because all I could see of reality, my reality was very small and it was ugly. You know, we were dealing with trauma in the home. We were dealing with trauma from the past and trauma in the home. And that was what I could see. So I needed people to speak life back into me and say, um, uh, this one person, I had a friend who, um, who said, you know, what you guys are doing is beautiful. And I was like, have you seen my family? (laughs) But I needed to hear that. I needed to see that. And she wasn't telling me from some ignorant, um, you know, glitter and puppies kind of perspective. She, she said that when we were at a birthday party, when one of my kids was trying to, um, test limits, trying to hug another adult, trying to, I mean, and she saw us dealing with all the, all the stuff that was hard and awkward in that situation that made basically a celebratory party into a nightmare for us to go to. Um, she saw that and still said, Shannon, your family is doing something beautiful. And I needed to hear that because it did not feel beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I needed to know that what we were doing was filled with purpose. And so that is the most important thing that I think anybody did, um, along with being teachable and being willing to walk with us through all of this. Um, What was the second part of your question? What was hurtful or uh, what made you feel misunderstood? Oh, um, the opposite. We had people who were like, it's just so mean. I don't think I could do that, you know? And so we talked about some of that. Just, um, yeah, it was more the selfishness of people who don't think they're being selfish. I think they just really don't want their bubbles popped over all of their preconceived notions. You know, we want to believe it's like this and, and they have a hard time changing their perspective, but adoption requires people to change their perspective. If they want to be truly supportive of adoption and truly supportive of foster care and truly advocating for orphan care and relief, we need our perspectives changed. Yeah. Rose colored glasses got to go. I love it. That's right. Yeah. Um, Okay. So if you could sum it all up into one piece of advice or encouragement for adoptive moms and their hearts, what would it be? Besides buy your book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Buy my book. Um, I would say, man, you know what I would do is I would, I would tell moms they're not alone. Moms and dads, you're not alone. You're not the only ones dealing with this. We're just, a lot of us are afraid to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But I would also say to churches um, that they need to figure out how to truly support their adoptive families in their churches because we have so many adoptive families who bail out of church. They give up on it and they give up for really good reasons because it becomes a miserable experience that causes more harm than good. And, and we have churches who are like, you know, we just can't accommodate this, 
this family or, or, well, we're doing it this way. And if your family can't participate, well, too bad. It's only three families. That's not cool. We would never say, um, we would never say that to a military family. We would never say that to missionaries or pastors. And we need to start seeing adoptive families and foster families as on the mission field. We need to start seeing them as on the front line. You know, we would never tell them, you signed up for this. Bummer for you. You know, you would never say that. that. (laughs) They totally say that. They would never say that to a soldier who's coming home from a deployment, dealing with recovering from wounds and emotional wounds. They would never say, well, you signed up for this. Mm -hmm. We don't sign up for this either. We are called to this and and we deal with it just like everybody else who pulls their pants up and says, you know what, there's a job to be done. And so we're going to do it. But we should never have the church say, you signed up for this or sorry, you know, we can't really help you. This is the job of the church. The job of the church is to care for the orphans and the widows. And if they're not going to adopt, not everybody can adopt, not everybody can do foster care, but we can all learn how to support those families who are on the front lines who are giving up their home as their sanctuary and their home becomes the mission field, we can figure out how to support them and how to wrap around them, how to bring them a meal, how to provide, you know, man, if you know an adoptive mom and you can provide her a monthly massage, let's do that. You know, let's, let's make services available for adoptive families. So they're not scrambling to try to find time or find emotional space to deal with, all the stuff that's going on in their home because there's stuff going on in their home that you will never hear about. Oh, I preach, sister. Like there's, I mean, just all of it. So, so good. Um, and so, I mean, just to finish this off, where where can we find you on social media? Where can we follow along or your blog or whatever? And then where can we find your book? Um, you can find me. My blog is called Copper Light Wood, or you can just type in my name, Shannon Guerra. And you'll find it. Um, and I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I am not on Twitter because I never jumped off that cliff. And I'm kind of glad I didn't. <laughs> I just don't think I could handle it. But you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. I love Pinterest. But um, that's just kind of a fun place. All roads lead to Pinterest, really. I just like to <laughs> goof off on there. Um, yeah. But you can find my book at Amazon. You can also buy Upside Down in bulk uh, from us directly on the website. You could buy it on bulk from Amazon, but we will give you a discount because we want it to be out there. So yeah, that's, that's all of that. That's awesome. And you guys check my social media when you hear this, you know, as, as you're listening to this, I'm going to be posting how you can win Shannon's book. Um, and it'll be in your hands. And so check, like I said, check my social media, check her social media. We'll be doing a fun giveaway. And, um, Shannon, just thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you so much for listening to the adoptive mom podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.